Hey, everyone. If you like this show, you should check out Slate's podcast, How To, hosted by Amanda Ripley. Listeners ask hard questions about everything, including the workplace, and experts give frank advice that's not only surprising, but often life-changing. Look for episodes like how to bounce back from burnout, how to stand up to a workplace bully, and how to crack up your coworkers without being offensive. You can find How To wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Crooked Store just launched a bunch of new merch inspired by your favorite Crooked Media podcasts, reminding you to unplug, reconnect, and get festive. Some of the new items include a Nog Save America mug. You listen to Pod Save America. You volunteer through Vote Save America. But maybe what you needed all along to save America was eggnog. There's a log off ornament inspired by offline. This ornament shows a snoozing doodle lying next to a burning log, which also has a burning smartphone on it. A true classic Christmas scene where the only screen in sight is being burnt to a crisp. And we've got a treason's greetings crew neck. Tis the season for some treason. Straight from the top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago to the ski slopes of this fantasy world holiday design. Every order from the Crooked Store will support Vote Save America's Every Last Vote Fund to make sure every voice can be heard in the face of unprecedented voter suppression. Head to crooked.com slash store to check out the new arrivals now. Hi, I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. Management is a skill, but in the vast majority of workplaces, it is not treated as one. Instead, it's something you do because it's the only way that you can get promoted. It's an add-on to your existing responsibilities with little attention to whether or not you actually have the skills or attributes that make you a good manager. That's long been the case, and it was a problem even when we were primarily doing management in person. But now that many workplaces have moved online or to a hybrid setup, the ability to manage by just, you know, walking around and looking at people, that is no longer possible. And if management training before the pandemic was bad, now it's even worse. A lot of people tell me about their dysfunctional or toxic workplaces, but a lot of people like their workplaces. They even like their managers. They just wish they were better at their jobs. Or if these people are managers themselves, they wish that they actually had the tools to make them better at their jobs. And that's why I wanted to ask Melissa Nightingale to come and be my co-host today. My name is Melissa Nightingale. I'm a co-founder and partner at Raw Signal Group. And at RSG, we build better bosses. She knows what it's like to be an untrained manager foisted into the position with little to no training. Because that's what happened to her. And now she trains managers in a way that is honestly the least bullshitty time waste that I've ever seen as part of her work with the Raw Signal Group. So much of the work that we do day in, day out is with leaders in fast-moving organizations. And one of the challenges that we see with leaders in fast-moving organizations is that they're often moving very, very quickly, but not often given a time to take a moment and take a beat and learn how to do the job that they're doing day in, day out really well. I want to be clear that I am very dubious about people selling management skills or management skill trainings or any of that sort of thing. I feel the same way about management trainings that I do about like random Instagram ads for jewelry that I know is going to turn my earlobes green. But Melissa, she is the real deal. And if you too are skeptical, I think our conversation and Melissa's approach to listeners' management questions just might begin to change your mind. 
So, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that we've had conversations before, you and I, and I always find your history with management and how you got into even thinking about management really, really interesting. And I also think it's pretty relatable. So can you trace that trajectory from basically the beginnings of your work history? Sure. Uh, So in the very early days of the web, I was hired as the first PR person to work at Mozilla, the folks that make Firefox. And I was hired in when the organization was about 50 people. And that organization grew very quickly, right? Like a very, very, very fast rise of the organization. Um, And we went from about 50 people to up over 1,200 in the span of about three and a half years. Most of that growth happened. And we didn't have our first full-time HR person until we were about 300 people. I feel like anyone who has worked in a startup is going to find all of this like very, very relatable. So basically like everything you can think that would be hard about being in a fast growing organization, being in a global organization, being spread across several different labor markets, trying to figure out the tech tools in terms of being able to manage remotely. Like we were doing that in 2007. And so a lot of the problems today when folks talk about sort of the things that are challenging are relatively familiar. And so as sort of we got into that role, one of the things that happened was like, a thing that happens to a lot of leaders, which is that I was told you're smart, you're really clever, you're really good at the individual work that you're doing. You're going to run a team of people who are doing that work and we hope you figure it out. Good luck. (laughs) Right. So it's like this style of promotion to management that I sometimes like to call it like add-on management where you're very good at your job. So why don't you manage people, even though you have no prior experience or training with managing? And at the time, we thought that was sort of a reflection of the, the, the weird and wild nature of the internet in that time frame, right? We just said, okay, well, the organization's growing really fast. Who has time to slow down and teach us how to do this next part of the job really well? And what I found sort of the longer I stayed in tech organizations, the longer I stayed in management positions is that you talk to people and everybody, like basically everyone comes up with some version of the same story which is I was good at the thing I was doing. I got tapped to lead a team of people who are doing that thing. And that was the the start and end of the training I got to do that job. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, Charlie and I, in our book, we talked a little bit about this history of management and how I'm being somewhat reductive here, but essentially over the course of the 70s, 80s, downsizing, layoffs, we subtracted management as a discrete skill from many organizations this middle layer of management became very disposable. And now as we're building companies back up from a startup into these larger sprawling organizations, kind of like what happened with Mozilla, we're realizing the importance of good management. And so much of the time frame that you're pointing to anticipated a homogenous workforce, anticipated a workforce that was either highly local, right? Which is like, I'm going into work at the factory in my town and everybody who works there also lives in my town and we have a lot in common and we cheer for the same sports team to a workforce that is not only sort of massively global in terms of like, I may be signing into work in a, in a zoom window and the people sort of across from me are not only not in my time zone, they're not in my town. I may have never met them in part. Like it's just a really different context. And we're asking leaders to lead in a space where like many of them are like, I, I, I have never done this before because almost nobody's ever done this before. Right. And management oftentimes before was conceived of as like just walking around, like walking around, looking to see what people are doing. 
And so what happens when this primary mode of management is no longer part of your job description? Like, what happens when you physically cannot walk around and look at people anymore to see if they're doing their jobs? No, and we hear from leaders a lot, particularly over the last two and a half years, that they're struggling with how do I know what my people are working on? How do I know how long something should take? And when when sort of they flag for me that something's gotten in the way or something's taking longer, I really just have no way to contextualize it because I, I have no visibility into what they're doing day in, day out. This is a really good tee up for our first question, which in somewhat of a, a deviation from what we usually do, does not actually come from one listener, but comes from many listeners and many readers of my newsletter who have been asking me this over the course of the last year, year and a half, two years. And it's essentially, I have no idea how to get better at hybrid and remote managing. And whatever these, like, you know, the webinars or the pointers that we're getting in terms of like, here's how to be a more empathetic manager, like all these things, they're not helping. So how can someone, this is a huge question, how can someone get better at managing a remote or hybrid team? This is going to sound like a punt, but I promise I'll come back to it and make it not a punt. <laughs> but the, the short answer is if you want to get better at remote management, you have to get better at management. Yeah. All of the core skills that make you exceptionally good as a manager, all of those foundational skills are harder in a remote context. And so we hear from leaders a lot who are like, I have not, I got promoted into a position of management when half my team got laid off in March of 2020, right? Like I was stepping into management for the first time as everything shut down. And so I've never managed in a way that wasn't remote management. So I didn't have an opportunity to establish those skills in a non-remote context. I'm trying to learn as fast as I can. And it's really hard. And the hard part of the feedback for them is that like, it's hard even if you were all in person. The things that make management hard in a remote context are like, are an exacerbation of some of the things that are really, really challenging. Like it is challenging to give somebody hard and direct feedback, even when you're sitting in the same room. It is challenging to figure out your own workload and figure out how to take pieces of that, hand them off to someone and feel confident that what they're going to hand back has anything to do with what you handed them in the first place. Like the, these pieces are really challenging. And so when we talk to leaders who are saying, how do I get better at the remote pieces? If you have a strong core foundational management skill set, the remote pieces get easier in part because the tool sets for remote aren't the part that people trip over. Like most right. folks at this point, at this point in 2022, like most people know how Zoom works. They know how Slack yeah. works or they know how Microsoft Teams works or they know how Google Meet, right? Like that's not the piece that people are getting stuck on. People are getting stuck on like, how do I check in on somebody and see how they're doing when I can't see them? Right. Well, and here's the thing that I think is oftentimes hard to talk about. And that's that if you excel at your job and you have been promoted in a sort of add-on situation where it's like, here's the way that you get a promotion, here's the way that you make more money is by becoming a manager. The skill set that makes you good at your job is oftentimes a different skill set than what makes someone naturally inclined to be a good manager, right? And so someone might be really accustomed to things coming easily to them in the workplace, right? To like, I catch on to things really quickly. I'm just a quick learner. Like everything is pretty easy for me, whether that's in school or in my job. And then here I am as a manager and I'm like, why am I not that good at this? Like it's it's very discombobulating. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yes. Part of the reason why it's very disorienting for many managers who are extremely successful individual contributors is that oftentimes the things that the people need to be doing are really clear to them. 
they're really obvious to them and they've got an understanding of sort of the core workings of that of that role or of that job and so when they're faced with explaining it to someone for whom it is not obvious it is not clear and they're thinking about the problem in an entirely different way than that individual who's just been promoted for being exceptionally good at that, it's very hard to teach them what they need to do or to help them troubleshoot because the the mental model for they're thinking about this in a really different way, the things that I take for granted because of either like my education, my background, my tenure within the organization are not things that this person has at their disposal or not things that they have available to them. And so you end up with folks who are very frustrated because they're like, well, why can't they just do the thing? And you're like, well... <laughs> If they could just do the thing, they would have done the thing already. And so troubleshooting that and untangling that is a really discrete set of skills. But the reason why it ends up really hard for a lot of leaders is like we tell people like you're you're either like a natural born leader, right? You're like the tallest in your class. You have a January birthday. Like we, we use a bunch of factors to say like, you just, you look like what I think of when I Google the word leader, that's what comes up in my mind. And that's not particularly helpful because if you find that like people have told you that for your whole life and you're still struggling, you're like, well, I am just a fuck up because like, I am, I am both a natural born leader and this is really hard. And then on the flip side, we tell people really unhelpful things like you're just no good with people. Right. You're just not very good with people. And you're like, well, how do I, I'm sorry, like I, I was born a human and I live amongst the humans. How do I then get better at that? Um, and so for us, it's really important when we're working with bosses to say, look, let's, let's break it down, right? Which skills are the skills that we need to do the job well? And how do we get better at those? Because the, the natural born and not good with, like it's very hard to get better from there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that people who are sometimes natural managers just have like the thing that they were naturally good at growing up is oftentimes like they were really empathetic, right? They were yeah. really good at putting themselves in other people's position. But that doesn't mean that the only people who can be managers are people who have that skill that has come really naturally or easily to them. Like empathy is something that can be cultivated. And when you meet really empathetic bosses, when you talk to them, they're like, I have a very hard time delivering hard feedback. And you're like, yes, because you can imagine what it would be like to be on the receiving right. end of that hard feedback. It's just one of those things where for many folks, the skill set is easier to improve on that I have a proclivity to or, or I'm inclined in this way. Like, great, that's a phenomenal starting point, but that's not usually where it stops. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Smile Actives. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Beverages like coffee and wine stain teeth over time, so what can you do to brighten your smile? You should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. 97% of Smile Active users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average, all within 30 days. Whitening treatments at a dentist can be expensive, plus you have to take time away from work or family to sit in the dentist chair. It's a hassle. Fortunately, Smile Actives is a safe and an affordable alternative to those expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. It's formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth, grooves, and crannies to get better whitening. You can add Smile Active's Pro Whitening Gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. So no change in your routine, no extra time, yet people will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Active's is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com work to receive our special buy one, get one free offer, plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com work. 
Work Appropriate is brought to you by Indeed. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is the screenings and assessments tool. Indeed helps you see your top talent's abilities in a flash by adding any of 135 graded assessment tests to your job posts. And you can select for the skills that matter. With Indeed assessments, you can pick from over 100 skill tests and add them to your job post. That way you can find candidates with the right skills fast. Plus, Indeed assessments help take the stress out of the interview process. Candidates get to show their skills before the interview so you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at indeed.com slash appropriate. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash appropriate. Indeed.com slash appropriate. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good news, podcast friends. You can get America's number one late night show, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, as a podcast. The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. You'll get everything you love about The Late Show, from Stephen's monologue to fascinating interviews with newsmakers and celebrities, delivered straight to your ears. You'll hear from guests like Anderson Cooper, Kerry Washington, and Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. You'll even discover some podcast-exclusive moments you won't see on TV, like extended interviews and throwback Colbert classics. And Stephen even takes a few audience questions. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert seven days a week, available wherever you get your podcasts. So question two is a real question this time, and it is from Maggie. Let's hear from her. I recently joined a fully remote nonprofit organization We're mid to large size, and we have employees spread out across the country. Uh, I joined the org because I'd heard great things about the work culture, including how the organization protected and promoted work boundaries. And so far, I've been really impressed with how true that's been. One aspect of my new job is supervising a team of people, including somebody who I'm going to call Ellie. Ellie is a young Black woman. This is her very first job straight out of undergrad. She just graduated a few months ago. I've noticed that Ellie is sending emails really early, sometimes as early as 6 a.m., and working very late. Sometimes I've seen documents saved by her as late as like 11 p.m. Over the summer, she worked during holidays despite getting messaging from executive leadership team, HR, and myself that those were holidays that all staff should take off. I've talked with her about this every time I've noticed it, but every time I've brought it up, uh, she's kind of turned the blame on herself and said things like, I'm really bad with time management, really bad with figuring out how to juggle multiple deadlines. I need to figure this out for myself. Don't worry about it. And my response has always been that as her supervisor, part of my job is helping her figure out how to manage many projects, how to figure out how to support getting her work done within 40 hours, within work days. 
I know that the transition from undergrad to office work can be difficult, especially if you're used to being able to work on homework at all hours of the day with no kind of real firm end time. And I'm trying to figure out how to support her and communicate that if she wants to be flexible with her hours, she can. I just am concerned that she's working more than 40 hours a week and she should not be. I know her other project directors have talked with her about this too, because as her supervisor, I've been in communication with them. And we've all made an effort to pull back some of her work and align our deadlines and communicate with her better about all of that. I'm sure as a young Black woman that she feels a lot of pressure to prove herself, but everybody has been incredibly impressed with the work that she's given and provided. So my question for you all is twofold. One, how can supervisors support their direct reports for whom this is their first full-time office job with creating and sustaining healthy work-life boundaries? And then two, how can white supervisors support their BIPOC direct reports with creating and sustaining healthy work-life boundaries? Looking forward to hearing what you all have to say. Thank you. So I'm hearing a couple of things in this question. And the first is that there's a manager who wants to encourage a healthy and sustainable work-life balance for her employee, but is also recognizing some of the racial dynamics that may contribute to why this employee feels the need to essentially work twice as hard, right? So let's address the first part first. How can a manager actually encourage, and I think I'm going to lead us in a direction here by say model healthy work habits and when does this become something that the manager can't control there's a piece that feels like it's missing for me in the in the question which is what's ellie's experience where's ellie's voice and i understand that ellie didn't submit the question the manager did but i think the part that i'm most curious about is what's ellie's version of this because there's there's information like one of the things we say to bosses all the time is if something doesn't make sense get really curious Right. And so like if something doesn't make sense, like one one version is that like you're just missing information. And so the there's a piece here, which is like Ellie is clearly someone who is going to work every day and wanting to do a good job. Right. This is someone who show and it like just showing up every day, wanting to succeed, wanting to thrive at work. And so there's a there's a piece that feels like it's missing from the manager in terms of help me understand help me understand what's going on here, right? We've had a conversation about boundaries. This is, and I hear from the manager that this is something that they really, to their core value, that it is a piece of why they came to the organization it is a thing that they find very important in their own work. But I think, you know, to template and say, that's really important for me and my own work. Therefore, it needs to be identical for the people on my team. It, typically it isn't, right? Like we, we're going to work with all, all types of folks who come with all types of assumptions, who have all types of family members giving them advice about working extra hard, putting their nose to the grindstone. Like there's just totally. a bunch of that out there. Totally. And so just hearing from Ellie and saying like, like, just opening up that communication a little bit to find out like what's, what's actually going on here. Yeah. Well, and I think this also, you know, I don't know if this is a solution to the question so much as like highlighting a problem is that the author of this question is making some assumptions about mm -hmm. why Ellie is working the way that she is. And, and part of it has to do with race. And maybe this author also feels awkward because they are white saying, and I, I actually don't think they should say, do you feel like you have to work harder because you're black, right? Like that's very presumptive. 
And maybe some of that would be alleviated. It's also if, illegal if, in several yeah. labor markets. We should just <laughs> right. say out loud. Like there are yeah. many states where that's right off the table. Right. So, but maybe that would feel different to Ellie if some of the managers and maybe her direct manager was someone who wasn't white, right? Like maybe some of this subtext could become explicit if the racial dynamics were different. And, you know, this goes back to something that I remember someone telling me when I was first in the workplace, which is that if things were different, then things would be different. (laughs) But that I think it's just interesting and, and important to highlight that, like, this is a problem that I think is not unique, but also is is difficult to solve sometimes because so many organizations, the the management layer is still so white, even if the organization itself is attempting to diversify. And I hear Maggie's version of it, right? And Maggie's perspective, which includes quite a bit of guesswork in terms of what's going on. But I could tell another version of, of sort of leaving school, starting my first job, being really excited and eager, thriving and getting feedback that I'm thriving within the organization. And every time I submit a new project, being told that some piece of my work is getting taken away. Yeah. And how confusing that might be, right? Mm -hmm. Again, I haven't spoken to Ellie, so I don't know, but how confusing it might be to, on the one hand, be getting really positive feedback and praise for the quality of the work that you're doing. And again, without necessarily a ton of context or lattice around how work works in the first place, right? Like this is sort of first job and that what should feel like a celebration moment is starting to feel like punishment. Yep. Well, and it's also counter to what I think many students experience in their education, which is that more is always more, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you hit the workplace and suddenly you have someone trying to encourage a more like work hard and then rest style of work, it can be very jarring. It can be very counterintuitive. And it can also feel like I'm just doing the best that I can do. Like you said, I think that it might feel like negative feedback. So how do you situate that in a way that Ellie can understand. One thing for bosses is that it's a superpower to remember what it was like to be new. And a lot of folks leave that phase and don't want to spend a bunch of time dwelling on what it felt like to be new. They're like, I worked so hard not to be new anymore that I don't really want to spend a lot of a lot of mental energy, a lot of mental time on on sort of that reflection. But in terms of sort of things that happen when you're new, many times tasks take you 10 times as long as they will eventually take you when you learn the shortcuts of the industry, but you don't have any of those shortcuts in your pocket. And so in terms of like an opportunity for a really heart forward and caring boss to have a profound impact here, mentorship is a thing that is available to you. If you've been in the workforce for more than a minute and you're managing someone who's been in for basically a minute, any of the the things that you learn the hard way, right? Like I remember early parts of my career, like things taking four hours a day, right? Like really taking like a full half day to get anything done. And then yeah. six months in those things taking 15 minutes. And so if you can start to think about where those things are that are massively time consuming when you're just learning them and accelerate that learning process, you start to, to not need evenings and weekends because the workload starts to get easier because you start to get faster. And so then you can have a, a more profound conversation around you know, those boundaries and the Labor Day and the, the you know, 4th of July, like those pieces, I think, start to, to sort of lock into place. But in the early days, like there's such a development opportunity for someone who's just starting out. Yeah, gosh, that's such a good point. I mean, this is somewhat different, but I remember in my early days of grad school, there would be some piece of reading, some piece of theory. It would take me a day 
to read, yeah. to go through the assignment, right? And I would feel like I was working so hard through the entire thing. And by the end of my grad school career, I knew how to parse these sorts of, I knew how to read them differently, but it took me time to develop that skill. And I was always hungry <laughs> for a class, for a teacher, for other older graduate students to tell me how it, it was done. And I really, I think I absorbed some of it through osmosis, but it was pretty painful. And I, I also had to deal with a lot of older grad students saying like, don't work as much. Right. And I'm like, but this is how long it takes me. But this is how long it takes me now. Cause I'm doing it for the first time. Right. It will not take that long forever. And that is also a really hopeful message for someone who feels like, you know, it is taking them a long time. And the between the lines is like, you don't, nobody wants to be slow. Right. Like even yeah. when you're just starting out, like it's no it's no fun to feel like you're slow at your job, mm -hmm. even if you're doing a great job, even if what you turn in is phenomenal. Like it, it's no fun to feel like, you know, it takes you twice as long as it takes somebody else. Well, often when we look at what's taking twice as long, it's all the skills you develop along the way when you, you get really practiced at a thing. So if you were Maggie and you were planning your next like Zoom meeting with Ellie, how would you shape that conversation? I mean, I'd start, I think, with a help me understand. Uh, let's talk through a recent project, right? We've got something that we're turning in. Talk me through from like sort of start to finish. Um, sometimes for very junior folks, the question teach me about can be really powerful because the, the, it flips the orientation, right? It flips of me as your boss to you being able to talk me through, like teach me about how you'd approach this project. What are the first steps you do? Second steps, like the, often through that conversation, you can identify like, massive workflow misconceptions mm. of like, well, I'd spend like the first six hours Googling, you know, these terms and be like, oh, actually like there's a doc on our intranet right here. You don't need to spend six hours doing it. Like you can find some of those spots, but I think the straight up conversation of you work too much, this is how, this is how much I work in order to do great work. And I'm fine with it. Like that dynamic isn't, it's not productive. If it were productive, they would have, again, they would have solved it by now. I think using those tools, I think we got to bring in some dimensionality to it in terms of what is the work that's happening? How is that work happening? And not from a micromanagement perspective, but just from a, like getting more informed about what's going on. And then the flip side of like, talk to me about sort of how work fits into your life, because you mm -hmm. may find that different people are coming to that with really different assumptions. Yeah, for sure. And I love that, that point that you make about how like probably her parents are like, work as hard as you possibly can or someone else in her life, right? Like that's just, it, there is a very different attitude that I think some workers receive from people outside of their bosses that they're like, well, this, my mom says this is the best way to prove myself on the job. And my mom is, you know, the person that I trust the most right now. And cross-generationally, some of those changes, yeah. like the, the changes in terms of expectations to the workforce. And when many of the folks who are giving that advice provide it, like when, when they were coming up through the workforce, there wasn't the, there wasn't the internet. Yeah. You weren't, you didn't have a mobile phone. You were, you left work and you, you may have stayed an extra half hour or an extra hour at your desk, but it wasn't possible for your work to message you at three o'clock in the morning, unless they were calling your home phone. And that's a really different context. And so a lot of the advice was good advice, or at least was, was well, like it served the people who give that advice. Um, it may have served them well, but it, it didn't anticipate a workforce that is constantly digitally connected. Our last question is from Jane, and our producer, Melody, is going to read it. As an employee, how should you handle being stuck in the middle between managing a team of Gen Zers who have a set of expectations and a boss or CEO who are from the Gen X generation and are at odds with the kind of workplace Gen Zers expect? Basically, I felt stuck in the middle, understanding the change that Gen Z is asking for and agreeing with many of the things they want, 
but also understanding the challenge of their more outlandish requests and attitudes and why executive level folks dismiss their asks. It feels like millennials, I'm personally 36, are stuck between two sets of workers who are at odds, and it's a challenge to manage both up and down to these two cohorts. So I love this question very much, uh, not just because I am also a millennial, but also because I think it really speaks to one of the most common tensions that I hear about, which is that like older leadership, people who have been in companies for a much longer period of time have different understandings of what work looks like and what is possible, right? Even like how culture and how mentorship can be formed than younger generations. I have this idea that I've been talking about with other people, even in, in episodes of this podcast about how older generations, because they never made friends online as teens and as like people in their early 20s, like they don't know how possible it is to have a really intimate relationship with people, even when you just meet them online. And so there's just a break in experience, right? It's not good or bad. It just is. And that's hard to, to bridge that divide. But so for this question, do, what, what advice do you have for this particular millennial? I feel like they're so lucky to have you. And it may <laughs> not feel that way. But to be able to have someone in a middle management position, like one, you feel like you're stuck in the middle because that's exactly where you are. You're exactly in the middle. That's the role. Um, but to have somebody who understands the concerns of senior leaders in the organization and also can speak credibly and authentically to junior staff members who are just starting out, like what an amazing leader within the organization to have somebody who both understands the challenges, understands what we're trying to get done from a strategic level and can be the bridge. The opportunity is just a slight reorientation of like, I am tired and this is hard because this person sounds tired and this sounds hard to like, you are one of the only people in the organization who gets to apply bi-directional pressure. Middle manager is the only place where you get to manage and apply pressure downward, but also upward. Your executives can't do that. They can only apply pressure downward and your most junior staff members can only apply pressure upward. Real change in organizations often comes from that middle and they often see it first because they're talking day in, day out to the people who are either new to the organization or individual contributors within the organization. And they're also talking to this, the sort of C-suite or senior leaders within the organization. And so like with that viewpoint and vantage point, there's so much power, but it often feels like a really disempowered place. It often feels like everyone comes to me to complain about the other part. And so right. <laughs> I think that the opportunity is to sort of get clear on like, how does it actually work within your organization today? Like yeah. If you ask the C-suite, if you ask the folks who like maybe maybe sort of have a, a sense that the, the new folks in the organization have unreasonable expectations, okay, well, let's lay out how it works. Just say out loud, like, how does it work? Where I start tomorrow, what are the things that are really important for me to know? Again, like, because many of those folks like haven't started a new job from a place of non-management or non-power in a really long time. And when they were starting out in their careers, careers in general and organizations and offices were a lot more linear in terms of how you progressed within them. I start a job, you're loyal to the company, you spend 20 years there, you get to a management position, maybe you get to a senior management position, but all of that is pretty laid out for you. And that's not the workforce today. And so when you find you've got like folks coming into the workforce straight out of school and they're like, how does all this work? They're right to ask it because the, the answer with any given organization is really different from one to the next. So I want to rewind slightly here because I think it would might be interesting to think about this in a paradigm that we don't always think of as like a managerial situation, but something like, say, a school, 
right? Mm-hmm. Where you definitely have managers. You have a principal, you have a vice principal, you have these people who are managers. And I don't think this is what Jane is talking about, but there is probably in these school environments, you have teachers who are one, two, three years into the job and who might be younger. And then you have this millennial who maybe has been teaching for 10 years, right? And then you have people who are nearing retirement. And this millennial feels like they can relate to those younger teachers in a lot of ways. And they can also relate to some of those things that those older teachers are thinking about. And so how did they communicate with both the principal, but then also like become a leader themselves within the school? What are these misunderstandings that might be happening? I mean, the starting point that, that I often find really helpful is that most people want to go to work. They want to do a good job. They want to have relative collegial esteem for their colleagues. They may not necessarily need to be best friends and like go for tacos later, but they like want to just sort of have an opportunity to go to work, to do good work, to be respected in the environment that they're in, to find that they respect their colleagues and to thrive. There's no age limit on that, right? Yeah. That's true across the board. And so often we get into these sort of divide situations where it's like, well, I think it should look like this. And I think it should look like this. And we lose sight of the fact that like the starting point for most folks is that they really want to be heard and they want to be understood in their work environment. Mm. And so if you've got a work environment that's spanning, like, do we have a place where where across the board people can be heard in terms of like what they bring to the organization, their own lived experience? Like, do we have a space where the only people who get heard are, you know, 60 plus years old and they're in the board meeting and everybody else can like sort of like keep quiet and go home and gripe about it on the internet, but like we're not interested in hearing it. Or do we have an environment where like, you know, we have somebody starting in a role at 22 coming into the organization and saying like, hey, I understand that we've always done it this way, but I've got an idea here. Those are the organizations that succeed. Like when you look across organizations, like hundreds of thousands of organizations and say what makes successful organizations tick, it's this idea that like, we can have those conversations and and in organizations where you can't have those conversations, you often end up with like monoculture and you often end up with an organization where we get blindsided or we miss out on some idea or some shift in the market or some movement or some trend in education. And we would have heard it if we'd been listening to our staff across the board, but because we were only listening to our folks with 20 plus years of experience, we only Mm -hmm. heard the things that you would say if you had 20 plus years of experience. Well, and I can even think about things like the fact that people who are younger in their careers, they're really thinking about the rest of their careers. Like, how am I thinking about work and thinking about the future of our industry within a paradigm of, you know, 25 years in the future? Whereas people who are later in their careers are like, how am I thinking about my legacy? How am I thinking about the fact that I might retire in three years? Like, it just is a really different mindset. And to be able to understand that is really, I think, unique. But if you as an organization can get those folks talking to each other and not past each other, but actually to each other, you get all of the sort of canon of best practices from a long time of doing it mixed with all of the energy and enthusiasm for what change might look like. It's so good. (laughs) But in most organizations, like those people just like are frustrated and that's such a miss. Yeah. Are you hearing about this, like about this more generational sort of mismatch or, or, or difficulty communicating in, in some of the work that you're doing? I mean, I think like get off my lawn is like, it's in fashion for, for as long as it's been in fashion, right? right? I think like kids today is like, it's a thing that happens and has happened for a really long time. But I think for, for most of the organizations that we're talking to, it's really about like, how do you take it from the frustration into something constructive? Yeah. 
right? Like, how do you reimagine it to say like, what, what would it be if it were great? Cause it could be great. It isn't right now. It doesn't feel great right now, but like not from a, a Pollyannish or a pretend perspective of like sort of sunshiny optimism, but from a like actual, what could it be if the parts of your organization that right now hate each other and don't talk to each other and shit talk each other on Slack, what if those parts of the organizations got together and made something amazing? It'd be so good. So is your advice to Jane or question asker, is it to, to reimagine her place as like this place of real power and privilege instead of this place of like exhaustion and, and frustration? I think my, my advice to Jane, like I, I think that Jane is in a position of power and of an, yeah. an incredible place of transformation and privilege. And if it helps to hear a stranger say that, then I hope that that's helpful. But in terms of like an actual concrete thing that Jane can go do, I think figuring out what is the roadmap for our organization? What does success look like for us? Like, are we a remote organization? Are we a hybrid organization? Do we have core hours? Like, what are the the core pieces that she needs to know to be able to then go speak credibly to the rest of the workforce and say, like, this is what it is. And can she also, through the process of, let's say these things out loud, advocate for some of the changes that she feels like are important to keep the workforce current with what the expectations are of the folks who are coming in? So what is something that you are seeing a lot of, like a tendency, an inclination, an eagerness, an openness that you are excited about in the future of like how work is going to evolve over the next 10, 20 years? I mean, I would say this, but I am excited that bosses are advocating for themselves. People are getting promoted into positions of management and particularly folks who are in sort of newer to the workforce generations are getting promoted into positions of management. And at the moment of promotion, they're saying, I need I need to be equipped to do it. I will accept this role. I'm I'm willing to accept. And they're so much smarter than I was, right? Like I got promoted into management. I was like, cool, new business cards. Like they're getting promoted into management. And they're like, oh man, this is an entirely different role than than the work that I've done. And in order to do it well, I need I need some framework for doing it. And so we, we're hearing from more organizations where the reason why they're reaching out about getting their managers trained is not because somebody in HR said you have to do it, not because some CEO says it's mandatory, but because the leaders within the organization, the people who are getting promoted are like, I need this and and yes, I'll do it, but but not without not without some of the foundations in place. Yeah, I think that's a great indication of a, a self-awareness, like knowing what you don't know. Which is really fantastic. Yeah, and sometimes they they don't know. They're like, I can't I can't articulate the thing that I'm missing, but I've mm. had really shitty bosses. I've had really like a string of really shitty bosses and I know I know what it is when it goes wrong. And I, I would just love not to do that to other people. Right. Like, Great, that can be a good starting point. It's just like not to traumatize the rest of the workforce. Awesome. Like more bosses should start there. That is a fantastic place to end. <laughs> Melissa, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you online? This is the funniest thing to have to say to you, but we run a bi-weekly newsletter uh, <laughs> that is free and it is at the URL worldsbestnewsletter.com. <laughs> With apologies. <laughs> no, it's very clever. It's very clever. And where can they find you? Like where, on Twitter, where can they find you? On Twitter, I'm uh, at Shappy, S-H-A-P-P-Y. Awesome. Thank you again. It has been a real pleasure and I'm just really grateful for your insight today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Melissa Nightingale for joining me and to the team at Raw Signal Group who made it happen. And as always, we're grateful to those of you who wrote in with your questions. If you've got a workplace quandary you want help figuring out, get in touch. You can find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or you can send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. 
We're interested in all of your questions, but in particular, we're working on episodes about unions, about how to really and truly rest, and about how to have awkward but necessary conversations at work. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen or on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. You can sign up for my newsletter at annhelen.substack.com. Subscribe to Work Appropriate wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll meet you here next Wednesday as we answer questions about the growing pains of starting a new job and whether it can be easier. Thank you.